we are today continuing our journey in the book of Philippians. And I'm starting off, I'm just going to share a story with you. When I was in my undergraduate degree, uh, I had this really tight-knit group of friends. Uh, we hung out with all the time. They were such a blessing, these guys. And we really, as we grew in our friendship, it came time that we decided that we should go on a trip together. You know, that's, that's a step in a friendship, isn't it? Yeah, Peter's going, oh, yeah. <laughs> Traveling with others is always a risk, right? Um, it's, it's just one step closer to that overlapping of your life and your social space, and you can't be quite certain how it's going to go. But we decided to jump in with both feet, confident that it was going to be awesome. I, I don't know how we picked it. We decided we were going to go to Virginia Beach, and we're going to drive there 12 hours. Uh, we all love sports. We were going to play a bunch of volleyball on the beach, sit by a pool. Uh, we bought bo- brought board games to play in the evenings. Uh, it was going to be a blast, right? One problem. This is like our first year of university, I think. But we were too young for any hotel to want to rent to us. <laughs> but we were determined. So after many, many no's, um, we had one of the guys in our group, his dad called this campground, and they begrudgingly agreed to rent us a cabin. So that was it. We were in. We drove 12 hours together. We make all, of our, all the way to Virginia Beach to realize that the campground was a little bit of a letdown. Uh, it was really far away from the actual beach. The facilities were not exactly in great condition. Um, <laughs> they had a basketball court, though, so that was good. We played some basketball. Uh, there was a pool. We went swimming, um, but it was really hot and sweaty and no air conditioning in our cabin, of course. The bunks were uncomfortable, and you tack that sleep deprivation onto the sleep deprivation of driving 12 hours all the way down there and being in close proximity to one another a whole bunch, and we started to get on each other's nerves a little bit, as you would expect. After our first night, my one friend, he sat the group down, like, guys, we got to have a talk. He said, this is a direct quote. We still quote this, like, when we hang out, we still, this quote comes up. And he sat us down, and he said, guys, if we stay here, I am literally not going to have any fun. <laughs> and we kind of said, come on, man, <laughs> you're being a bit extreme. He said, I don't care. Today, I'm driving to the beach and just walking into hotels until someone agrees to rent to us without looking closely enough at my ID. Uh, And we had our protests. We're going to lose money we paid for this place. We're going to pay for a new place. It's actually totally fine here. We can have a good enough time with what we have. No one's even going to be willing to rent to us. We already tried calling all of them. Uh, You're just complaining, right? As we told him, you're just complaining. It's going to be okay. But he was adamant, and it was his car. (laughs) (laughs) So we went to the beach shortly after, and the very first place he walked into rented him a room. And you know what? I think we had a better time because of it. So much fun, actually, that we went back and stayed at that same place a few years later as like a reunion trip together. And I'll be honest with you, when he sat us down and he said, if we stay here, I'm literally not going to have any fun. I thought he was being kind of whiny. Like, we could totally have fun in this place. But the truth is, he was speaking aloud what the rest of us were probably feeling, but deciding not to say. And his willingness to speak these things aloud was a gift to our group. We were actually blessed by it, right? Now, many of you, maybe you... Maybe you have a friend who's like this in your life, in your, in your, your social group. Or maybe you are this person in your social group. Um, 
the one who's quickest to point out the things that are wrong or how they could be going wrong or how things could be better than they currently are. And I don't need to tell you that this is a skill set that is not always used for good, right? Like, sometimes people are pointing out something really important. Sometimes they are bringing to light something that needs to be said so that people are, you know, that, that people are refusing to talk about because it's uncomfortable. But other times, people are unnecessarily chasing conflict or just complaining for the sake of complaining and actually robbing themselves and others of joy, right? Well, if you look at our Bible passage that we have today, uh, Paul opens with a few words on this topic. He says, this is verse 14 of Philippians chapter 2. He says, do everything without grumbling or arguing. If you were here last week, you might be putting it together that Paul was telling people not to grumble immediately after he brought a very high challenge to the people in Philippi. Like he challenged them to work out their salvation with fear and trembling. I suggested last week that in essence what he was saying was following after Jesus. This thing that we call discipleship is serious business. I drew this illegible diagram if you were here. It was impossible to read. Um, on the whiteboard about how salvation isn't something that is just that just has happened to us. It's something that has happened, that was justification, and then it is happening, that was sanctification, and that was something that will happen to us, that was glorification. But I was reading an article this week by a pastor named Hector Vega in, in, about his journey of coming to faith when he was actually a prison inmate um, and how his whole life turned around. And in this one line, he described it, he described this call to something more, right? To something more than just salvation, right? He described it so well, this invitation um, to working out of our salvation. This is how he put it in his own journey. He said, it took some time to see Jesus, not just as my savior, but also as my Lord. I'll say that again. This is what he said. He said, it took some time for me to see that Jesus was not just my savior, but also my Lord. I think that transition is what Paul was getting to the bottom of. Okay, I'm saved, now what? Right now, now we work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Hey, the journey isn't over with salvation. There's more to this thing. And that more that you're being called to is serious. You should be undertaking this with fear and trembling, with, with seriousness and also with awe, right? And maybe you'll remember that we saw in Paul's writing that he was almost buttering up the people with some compliments before he dropped on them this idea of working out their salvation with fear and trembling because he knew it would be a hard message, right? So what does he say next? Do everything without grumbling or arguing. And you can see how maybe this would read like Paul is finishing up his challenge that he's brought to his community to take their faith seriously with a bit of like a snap, right? A stomp of the foot, perhaps. Like, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to fill and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose, and I don't want to hear any grumbling or arguing from you about it. Just do it, right? <laughs> That's almost certainly how it read to me at first. But I actually don't think that's what's happening here. Like, I think Paul is doing something a lot more meaningful. I think that Paul is actually, is actually giving some advice to the church in Philippi on how to live out this call to work out their salvation with fear and trembling in a way that it gets right down into every crevice of their hearts. 
I actually think that this invitation to do everything without fear, without grumbling or arguing is a good news invitation to the people of God. Like he says, do everything without grumbling or arguing. And then he continues, so that you may become blameless and pure. So this is supposed to work in such a way that the hearts of the Philippian people are shaped in a positive way by their refusal to grumble or to get caught up in arguing with one another. Let me tell you another story of that same friend from the vacation who said, if we stay here, I'm not going to have any fun. (laughs) This was another trip that we went on. We did go on more. Can you believe it? Uh, (laughs) This time, him and I both scored like super cheap tickets to Portugal, like $300 round trip. We said, oh, we can't afford not to, right? Um, Amazing deal. Neither of us had ever been outside of North America, so we were really excited to go. Uh, And we jumped at the opportunity, but while this friend had used his powers for good in Virginia Beach to help us all have a wonderful time, his reputation was such that this was not always the case. Sometimes the complaints were less of a gift to the broader community. Uh, He knew that we were going to be staying in hostels because we were university students on a tight budget, uh, and we were trying to do the yeah, trying to do the whole trip there on a minuscule budget. And so before, before we even went, he made a commitment to himself, and he shared it with us. He said, my plan, and you can hold me accountable on this, my plan is that for this whole trip, I am not going to complain once. That was his commitment to us. And we said, okay, buddy, <laughs> right? <laughs> he said, no, I'm going to do it. <laughs> All right. And sometimes it just ended up being really silly and bringing us to laughter. Like I remember a morning where we were, the hostel we stayed in, one of the hostels we stayed in provided um, two meals a day. Um, But they were the type of meals that you would expect to get in a hostel that provides two meals a day and makes you sleep in a big room with a bunch of people. Um, And so uh, in the morning, there was maybe some cereal and some rolls. And then in the evening, they would have soup. But when you asked the lady who worked there what was in the soup, she would say spiders. Spiders and spiders and spiders. So that's what she would tell us. You were having spider soup, which I, based, I think was code for whatever people left over in the fridge, I grabbed and somehow made a soup out of it. And I hope you don't get poisoned by it. I think that's what it was. But I remember one morning, we were sitting with my friend. He was across the table from me. And he, put, he, he decided to try this cereal this morning and it was exceptionally stale and I watched him trying to chew it and it was I thought he was going to break a tooth it's like crunching in his mouth and so of course you know the little jab hey man how's that uh you know (laughs) how's that cereal for you this morning as he's trying to not complain and he said he looked at me you know straight faced and he said honestly I I'm feeling very blessed by the opportunity to get a workout for my jaw this morning (laughs) As I chew this, you know, I think my bite power has probably increased about 3%. Uh, (laughs) We all laughed. We enjoyed these moments together. But what was really fascinating was at the end of the trip, as we rounded the corner, he did a, a tremendous job sticking to this commitment to try to not complain. We rounded the corner to the end of the trip, and him and I were sitting together, and he said to me, I think I'm going to try to keep this going. He said, actually, like, I feel, like, happier. Like, I have enjoyed this so much more 
because of my refusal to just complain about everything. It, it actually shaped the way that he looked at the world around him. He felt less frustration and resentment about his circumstances and a whole lot more joy. I think that this is the experience that Paul is inviting the church in Philippi into when he writes, do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure. Children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. And then he says, right, he says, then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. Paul is describing a transformation in the hearts of the church in Philippi. When they're able to turn their eyes and hearts away from grumbling and arguing about the things that were in front of them, their, their heads and their hearts were freed up to appreciate the beauty of Jesus and his presence among them. And the end result of this we find in verse 17 and 18 where he says, but even if I am poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice or the service and service coming from your faith, he said, even if you know, bad things happen, he said, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. He says, so too should you be glad and rejoice with me. There's the joy, right? The end result is joy, gladness and rejoicing. Now, before we go any further, I do want to just dispel something. So I've often heard this passage talked about and discussed in such a way that leads people to hear that as Christians, we shouldn't ever raise complaints or concerns. And there's, there's something here, perhaps, right? Like, like we are to live as people of gratitude and of hope and of joy. And maybe you didn't know this, but one of the gifts of the Spirit that's talked about in the New Testament is actually the gift of enduring hard things. Like sometimes we are empowered into that by the Spirit. But this doesn't mean that we never raise our concerns or bring challenges to the circumstances that we encounter. Actually, that is vitally important work in the church, right? Like look at much of the New Testament. Much of the New Testament, Paul is bringing words of challenge, complaints you might say, to churches that needed correction, right? This is important work. Pointing out the areas where things are going wrong can be a gift to the church. It can be a gift to the communities that you're part of. You might end up leaving that campground and going to a hotel and having a much better time, right? But we need to be discerning as we raise concerns. So how do we know when we're called to endure and when we should speak up? Let's just take a look back in the text. Paul has been in the process of calling the church in Philippi to humbly consider one another in love and to seek to follow after the example of Jesus, right? This is our guide. And if I'm being honest, I think this is something that more often than not is actually caught rather than taught. Like, like we learn where to stand firm and where to bend by spending lots and lots of time with Jesus. Lots and lots of time with our eyes fixed on the word of life, to use the language of the text here. Lots of time together with Jesus, right? Jesus who simultaneously calls us to live sacrificial lives and also loves us so much that he desires for us good, right? It's through closeness to him, through immersion in his story and in his family, the church, 
that we're able to do this work of discerning together. When do we speak? When do we endure? Right? And I think this is where the next part of the passage actually comes into play for us. See, Paul commends Timothy and Epaphroditus. That is a hard name to say, by the way. Very hard. Well done. (laughs) Timothy and Epaphroditus to the church in Philippi, and he hopes to send them back to Philippi soon, or, or, well, Epaphroditus back and Timothy just to, to the church. And I think this is important because if this way of being and acting is something that is more caught than taught, then it makes sense that Paul wants to send his dear friends in Philippi some folks who can show them the way, right? We don't have time to dig through the whole stories, but both of these folks, um, but, but just, we'll just take a look at how Paul describes them and commends them to the, to the church in Philippi. So this is verse 19 of chapter 2. He said, I hope in the Lord to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ, but you know that Timothy has proved himself. Because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things, are, how things go with me. And I'm confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. Timothy has proved himself. That's how he's described. He's proved himself. Paul is sending them someone who has walked these roads to help them in their own journey. Someone who has learned under Paul how to follow Jesus in this way. Someone from whom the followers of Jesus in Philippi can learn. And what of Epaphroditus? Well, there's a bit more to the story here. Maybe you remember this, but the the context of this whole letter is Paul is sitting in prison and he's awaiting trial and it's very possible that he will receive the death penalty. And he had this special connection with the church in Philippi and they with him. So when they had heard of his imprisonment and the possibility of this, this impending penalty that could come, they pulled together their funds to try to send him help. And Epaphroditus is the one who got the job of actually bringing those funds to Paul. But it's more than that, right? It seems clear from the text that actually it was intended from the beginning that he would bring the funds to Paul and then remain there with him as his helper. All the way through the trial. And what we don't maybe know intuitively but was true of this time is that Epaphroditus was putting his life on the line by doing this. Because it was very, very possible that if he's a helper to Paul and he's going and staying and remaining with Paul and bringing funds to Paul, that if Paul gets sentenced, so does Epaphroditus. This is what he chose. So Epaphroditus has also been proven, right? He's also, he's, he's lived his convictions He's decided to live out a radical faith. And in the process of doing this, he encountered some big challenges. He got sick and almost died. So there's been a great deal of concern from him. So Paul decides that he would also like to send Epaphroditus back to the church in Philippi with very high praise. And part of that is actually, I think probably Epaphroditus was a little bit concerned if he went back that the church in Philippi would call him a coward, (laughs) right? Well, you were supposed to stay with Paul and what have you done? But Paul says, no, 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 no. He is a brother he is a co-worker, and he is also a messenger, which in the Greek, when you actually look at the word apostello, he's an apostle. 
which is a big deal to use that language in this early church context. So Epaphroditus has also been sent back into this community as a person of faith, as a discipler who can testify to what it means, who has, he's caught it, right? He's lived it, he's seen it. And Paul, he's been a student of Jesus, and now he gets to go back into his community as a discipler to show them what does it mean with these, like him and Timothy, like these little sparks of flame, right? Bringing this, this, this discipleship, this, this zeal to this already healthy little church to help them further down this path of discipleship. The church has received a challenge to follow after Jesus in a way that will transform them and their faith to hold tightly to the word of life. And they get to bear witness to this in the people of God, right? Now, you might, you know, cock your head at this a little bit when I say this, but give me a moment. Trust, trust me for just a moment. There are times, just give it a chance, there are times when I am really very disappointed that as Protestant Christians, we don't learn about the saints, now, I'm not saying that we should venerate them or pray to them or have artwork of them in our churches, statues or things like that. But the stories of the saints are the stories of people who have lived this journey of following after Jesus. And they are a blessing to us as Christians. And I would go a step further to say that we actually have saints in the story of our church, Right? They haven't gone through the process of canonization or whatever it might be, but it has been a blessing to me to read stories of folks like B.T. Goff who planted this church in response to the call that God put on his life. Church, I can tell you that we actually have people in this room, in this church, and also in the broader church in our denomination, people who have been walking this path of discipleship faithfully for many years. And I just, I'm, I'm just curious, I just wonder, what would it look like for us to be a bit more intentional in looking to them and learning from them so that we can grow in our own faith as well? This is what we call discipleship. In 1 Corinthians, Paul describes it this way. He, he invites the, the people to whom he's writing. He says, follow after me as I follow after Christ, right? So if there was a thing that you, you were going to take from today's passage, there's this invitation to avoid grumbling and instead fix our eyes on Christ and the truth that the way that we get into the rhythm of doing this is by learning from someone who has walked these paths before us. If you're wondering who might be able to disciple you? Look to some of the mature believers around you. People who have been tested, right? And have come out on the other side faithful. And if I could leave you with one thing, you will know that you are in the right place or connecting with the right person if you find your mind and your heart turning to Jesus. That's the test, right? Always to Jesus. And that's how we're going to end our time together today. We're going to sing what is probably a very familiar hymn. I'm going to invite the worship team back up. And, uh, and I'm going to pray, and then we're going to rise, and together we're going to sing the hymn, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. Because that's the invitation, right? To fix our eyes upon him. So let's, let's pray together. Lord God, 
We thank you for the freedom that we can have in you, for the invitation to to something that is more than just salvation, to, to seeing you more as the one who saved us, but actually to seeing you as the Lord of our lives, God. And I pray that as we fix our eyes on you, that we would catch that we would catch the, this fire in our hearts, in our spirits to follow after you as those before us have gone and done. Lord, challenge us in our hearts, in our spirits. Inspire us towards movement and obedience to you. We pray these things in your name. Amen. I invite you to stand as we respond. Thanks for listening to the Blue Mountain Community Church Podcast. May God's word fill you up this week. God bless.